0: Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at encounterchurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. To serve you, Father God. We love you. And we just thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together as a church family, to fellowship with each other this morning, Lord, just to be there to strengthen each other, encourage each other, hug each other, just let each other know that we are loved, Father God. Somebody in this room today needs to hear that, that you love them, that you love them. And we thank you for that, Father God. I just pray as always, Lord, that you would use me this morning. I pray that every word from my mouth is yours and not mine. And I pray that people just leave here differently with a different perspective on you, a different perspective on themselves, Father God, and what it means to be a a Christian, Lord God. We love you, and we give you praise, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. All right, guys, well, it is fantastic to be here with you. It's an honor and a privilege always to stand behind this pulpit. And I know I say that every single time uh, that I'm here, but it's absolutely uh, the truth. I do not take it lightly, any opportunity I have, uh, to bring you God's Word it's something uh, I take very, very seriously. I'm going to be closing out our mini-series. It's about as mini as you can get, two-part series. Um, and Worship, Pastor kicked it off uh, in an incredible way last week, set the bar incredibly high for me, as he always does. Um, but it's a, an honor, as I said, and a privilege to be here, and I'm excited to be closing out this, this uh, message, this series, to you today. We're going to be talking about uh, worship and following on from what it is that Pastor Philip spoke about. And I was saying in the team meeting this morning, uh, that worship, I, I love to, 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 to preach about worship, and I know Pastor loves it with a passion. He used to be uh, a worship leader, and uh, so it's something which is very, very important to him I can't say the same. Obviously, I'm involved with the worship team and uh, drumming occasionally, and that, that's uh, you know, fantastic from, from a, a worship perspective, being able to do that. And obviously, every time we get to raise our hands and sing to the Lord, it's a great thing. But when preaching on this uh, topic, I was saying in the lead team meeting, it's, it's, it's done me good. Because, you know, in ministry, uh, let's, let's just be honest, we, we're pouring out continually and pouring out continually. And so we can often come, come here, and when I say we, I mean me. You know, there are times that during, the, during office hours, during the course of a week... You know, I'm coming here and I'm doing the work of God, but it's, it's very easy to, to not forget God, but just to, to be going through the motions, to be doing the work of God as opposed to, you know, thinking about God. I hope this is making sense because it sounds awful coming out of my mouth. <laughs> so, my point is this. When I get to preach on things like worship, it's impossible to study about worship without studying about the object of our worship. And so it's a great reset button for me. Because it gives me the opportunity to be reading about all of the, the the wonderful things that God has done, that God is doing, that God will do. It just it's a, again a reset button for me. It helps me to just keep God in the right place. I've always had, and always do, since I was saved at least, a very high view of God. But it's great to to really just focus in and study on this subject of worship. Why? Because worship is more than just singing some songs. It's great to sing those songs, and what an awesome time of praise and worship we have every Sunday here. It's, it's wonderful. We can get lost in that and really lift up his name, but worship is so much more than 20 minutes of singing on a Sunday morning. Worship is, is a lifestyle, and I'm going to be touching on that, and we're going to be talking about that in detail. pastor spoke last week about how important worship is in our lives, but more importantly than that, he also spoke about how Important worship is to God, because we're not worshiping for our benefit. Yes, we can have a great time. Yes, we can get the blood pumping, and yes, we can be reminded of the awesomeness of God. But it's not about us. And he he made it, you know, in in very delicate terms. He said, you know, it's not about you. The worship is not about you. It's about the God that we are here to worship. And he pointed out to us that we all worship something. We all go through the motions of worshiping something because God created us to worship. But what we have to ask ourselves is, is our worship being misdirected? Are we worshipping something else in the place of God? So I'm going to be talking today about how to worship God style. How to worship God style. What does that mean? I'm going to be focusing in on what it is that God wants from us as regards worship, because we need to be coming with that kind of a heart. We need to be coming to be worshipping God for God's sake, not for our sake, and as I said, it's a great time that we have together. But wh- how do we worship? How is it that God would have us worship? I guess that's the, answer, the the question that I'm hoping to answer this morning. I'm going to be looking at what God says about worship and how it is that He desires us to express ourselves to Him. If you remember, worship is our response to what or who it is that we value the most, and whilst that should be the God that created us, it's not always that way. He should be the object of our worship like nothing and nobody else is in our lives. We were created to worship Him and to bring Him glory. And that reason for our existence, it's not in a list of, oh, by the way, while you're there in your lifetime, throw in some worship for me at the same time if you would that it's not on a list of that nature it's not that it's actually our primary reason for being created was to worship him and to bring him glory that's the reason that we were created initially everything else is extra to that and we i say we and including myself again have have managed to bring bring that down to, to lower lower on the list than it should be it should be the very top of our list our purpose We have different roles, different giftings. We spoke about that previously. We have different things that we do in order to serve Him. But the commonality that we have, the common link that we have, the thing that we should all be doing is worshipping Him and bringing Him glory because that's what we were all created to do. In the book of Isaiah, God is speaking about His chosen people. And in case you're unsure, that includes you. You are His chosen people. And He says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. All in one sentence, separated only by commas, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So next to each other, two statements of fact. One, he formed and he made you. Two, you were created for his glory. So he formed us, he made us, he created us for that purpose. In fact, he did more than that. He created everything for his glory. And God expects that glory. He expects that worship Look at this in chapter 19 of Luke. This passage of Scripture is headed up in my Bible, probably yours as well, as the triumphal entry. This is a description of Jesus' journey on the cult into Jerusalem the week before his death and resurrection. He's riding in, and the people are laying their clothes down on the road and palm branches down on the road in front of him. The Bible says this, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, And there's two things to draw from this verse. first one is this. Our worship can be offensive to some people. It can be. Some people aren't going to understand what it is that you're doing when you're worshipping God, however you're worshipping God. They aren't going to understand why you are worshipping God and why you are putting Him first in your life. Some people are going to be upset when you start making decisions Based on what God wants you to do and not what they want you to do. You have a choice, the same as I have a choice. You can run the risk of offending people because you are worshipping God the way He wants, or you can run the risk of offending God because you are worshipping people the way that they want. We have that choice to make. Not every day, but sometimes you're going to have that choice to make. So the first thing that we can pull from that scripture is our worship can be offensive to other people. The second thing we can pull from this passage in Luke is this. If God does not receive worship from us, he will find it from somewhere else. He says if these were silent, the disciples, if they are quiet, then the very stones would cry out. Now I don't know about you, but I don't want any stones having to sing on my watch. I don't want any stones having to sing. I want to be doing the praise, doing the worship, bringing him glory so that God doesn't have to rely on somebody else doing my share. He created everything to bring him glory. And again, I want to bring him my share. So we can see clearly the fact that our worship is important to God. And the thing about worship is this. When we hear the word worship, we have an idea of what that means. We immediately think music. We immediately think singing his praises and praise and worship at church on a Sunday and so forth. And again, God sees that as worship. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that isn't worship. It absolutely is. And God sees that as worship. And he receives that as worship. But God doesn't see that as being the only form of worship. And it's important that we know that. And it's important that we discover what it is that God desires from us. I don't know about you, I want to worship God. I want to worship God the way that God wants to be worshipped. So I'm going to cover some of these things this morning. Hopefully, you may learn something new about worship. So why is it important that we learn how God wants us to express ourselves to Him? Well, it's because our relationship with God shouldn't just be an important relationship to us. It should be the most important relationship to us. Why? Well, again, because that's the way that God wants it. That's why. God wants your relationship with Him to be your most important relationship. And here's the incredible thing about a strong, deep, intimate relationship with God. It is never at the sacrifice of the other relationships in our lives. Never. It's always to the benefit of those relationships. The stronger and deeper my relationship is with God, then the stronger and deeper relationships can be with other people. I'm a better husband because of my relationship with God. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I'm a better employee. I'm a better me because of my relationship with God. So if we're going to decide that our relationship with God is the most important relationship we have, our priorities change. And we start to ask ourselves the same questions about this relationship that we should be asking about other relationships. It's easier to think about earthly relationships, our horizontal relationships, those people who are around us. We can relate to that because we're living that on the day-to-day. Our vertical relationship with God sometimes takes a bit more thought. So let's look at things on the horizontal. Let's, you in your mind, take somebody that's particularly important to you from a relationship perspective. My wife is important to me. My relationship with her is vital to me. And I'm constantly asking myself how I can do better in that relationship. How can I be the best husband I can be? But here's the thing. It's not important that I'm checking the boxes That I think should be checked in my relationship with her. What's important is that I'm checking all of the boxes that she wants me to check. So it's okay for me to think, how can I be the best husband I can be? But she's got a better idea of how I can be the best husband to her. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't be always constantly thinking, there's nothing wrong with striving to improve but I could be really working hard and really doing a great job at really doing excellently in all of the wrong areas. What a waste of time and energy. And so instead of making her feel great, which is my objective and my purpose, I'm making her feel completely lousy, angry, upset, frustrated, all of those things that people can get sometimes. So it's important to me that I'm checking the boxes that she wants me to check. And it's exactly the same way with God. I love my wife, and my desire is not that I'm seen to be doing the right things. My desire is, is that I have her feeling the best way that I can have her feeling. I love her with everything in me, and I want her to know that and feel that and sense that. So in order for that to happen, I have to be doing the things that she will recognize as is me expressing my love to her. My relationship with God is exactly the same way. We need to express ourselves to God the way that He wants us to express ourselves to Him, not a checklist of things that we need to do. There's a book by Gary Chapman, it's called The Five Love Languages, and it's really helpful in this area of relationships it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book. I, I would I definitely recommend it to you, irrespective of whether you're married or otherwise. You have relationships and friendships of some kind. This book is incredible because we all respond differently to different things. My wife responds well to words of affirmation, not gifts. Your wife may respond better to being told how you feel about her <coughs> rather than you buying her a bunch of flowers each and every week okay? So re- get the book. Read the book. You never know. You may find that out. You may find out that your, your wife will respond better for you saying, I love you, than you bring in flowers. So two things happen. The first thing is that she feels loved, and the second thing is you save money on flowers. <laughs> You're welcome. <clears throat> but that book's great. It helps us to find out how it is that the other person wants to be loved. So if we want God to sense our love for him as much as we want him to, and we should want that, then we need to express that love in the way and the ways that he wants them expressed. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning showing you what it is that God wants from you. Not for you to be saved. Not for you to be in his good books. Not so that he will give you all the things that you want him to give you on your wish list. Simply so that you can express your love to him the way that he wants that expressed. So let's look at what God wants. Firstly, God wants your praise. God wants your praise. He wants your praise for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's doing, and for what it is that he's going to do. And let me tell you this in case there is a slightest bit of doubt in your mind. He is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of as much praise as you can bring him, and a whole lot more besides. David wrote these words in Psalm 145. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. What does that mean? It means it's, it's, it's so great, it's too great. We can't get to the edges of his greatness. That's how great he is. So how do we praise God? Well, I've spoken about this several times, about the the inability sometimes that the English language has to express the words that were originally written in Scripture, in Hebrew and Greek. And there's no better example than that of that than the word praise. Praise. In English, it's praise. That's it. And if you want to say praise differently, you would say praise. It's the one word. That's all we have. Now, you can stick an adjective in front and say great praise, loud praise, but the word praise remains exactly the same. But it's not that way in the original scriptures. In fact, when we read the word praise in our English Bibles, it could have been translated from seven different Hebrew words. There are seven that are used in the Old Testament. So I'm going to run through each of these, and I'm going to describe what they mean to you. So that the next time you think about praise, you try and think about the context that that word is being used, and try and think about what style of praise, what type of praise it is that God is actually talking to you, or speaking to us. So we're going to look at these words as I said, and hopefully give you a sense of the different aspects of praise that God wrote about in his word. So hopefully this is going to help you just to see how big Praise is how expressive it should be of how we feel about God. So, the first Hebrew word for praise I want to talk about is this Hallel, and this word is used a lot in scripture. And this is actually where we get the word Hallelujah from. Yah is a Hebrew term, and that means God. So, when we shout Hallelujah, we're proclaiming Hallel God. And Hallel means this, it means to boast, it means to rave, it means to celebrate, it even means to be clamorously foolish, clamorously foolish. Hallel would be a good way to describe 100,000 people at Tiger Stadium as LSU run out onto the pitch. Seriously, and I'm not knocking anybody for that, I'm trying to give you an idea, a visualisation of what Hallel looks like, and that's it. That clamorously foolish, just letting go and just shouting and cheering. And as I said, that happens at LSU on the regular. And you might have been brought up to believe that God wants us to praise Him in a quiet, somber fashion. You may have been to churches like that, where you've been told not to raise your hands, not to tap your feet, not to even stand during praise and worship. And you might not believe that God actually wants you to act toward Him the way that you might freely act at a football game, but the truth is, he does want that. He does want that. Man's telling you not to raise your hands to God. Sorry, man, I'm all about my God. It's the God who we're worshiping, and if you've been told that God looks, likes things, you know, I mean, and again, scriptures misquoted in every area, all of the time. I mean, I mean, I've actually heard this said about praise and worship. You know, our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Therefore, sit down, put your hands on your lap, and and, and don't get carried away, because our God is not a God of chaos. What we witnessed this morning and took part in this morning is not chaos. That is hallel. That is praise. It is worship. It is boasting about our God, because our God deserves to be boasted about. He deserves to be bragged on. He deserves us to be hollering Him, shouting out His name. Let me give you an example of when this is used. It's in Psalm 22, verse 26. It says, those who seek him shall praise, Hallel, the Lord. Those who seek him shall Hallel, the Lord. God enjoys it when we Hallel him. He enjoys it when we freely express our love and our appreciation to him. And again, people don't think twice about showing this freedom of praise and excitement at a football game. And again, I'm not knocking that. I'm just joining in with everybody else's at these games, at sport and events, at concerts. There's nothing wrong with being free and expressing yourself, but the same applies in church. There are no extra rules in church. The rules do not change in church. And let me just say this to you, just point blank and plain, and please forgive me for any offense that I may cause, but just remember, offense is taken, not given. If you can hallel at Tiger Stadium, you can hallel at 12112 Florida Boulevard. I'm just saying. So, the next Hebrew word in the Old Testament is this, Yadah. And this word means to acknowledge someone or something in public with our hands extended. When we Yadah God, it literally means that we are lifting our hands up to heaven and acknowledging the greatness of God. And this phrase is used in Psalm 138. It says, I will praise Yadah, you Lord, with all my heart. And when we're praising this way, notice how how our bodies naturally express what it is that we're feeling in our hearts. There's a longing, there's a, a reaching, a yearning to be closer. We're trying to reach up and touch heaven, like it says in that song. We're lifting we're lifting, we're raising our hands, we're expressing our love and affection to another person. And when we're doing that to another person, I should say, when we're expressing ourselves to another person, our hands are very often involved when we're expressing our love to another person. Now this word, yada you could use this word to describe a small child coming to his mummy or daddy and saying, hold me. Yes. That's, that's the visual, that's the picture that you should see when you hear the word yadah. So the next word, barak. And this word is used to convey the meaning of blessing. This is giving thanks. This is bowing down. This is even kneeling as a sign of humility and gratitude. And this is the kind of opposite to, of our Hallel type of praise. Hallel is letting loose and, and just shouting and jumping and praising. This is more just, I mean, I guess somber is a word, more respectful kind of, of somber kind of a, a, a praise, a humility. So, what I was looking for about this praise. And this means to honor God by presenting ourselves to him. This is us saying to God, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. Barak means I'm going to praise God by giving my entire self to him. So in Psalm 103, David uses the word there. He says, praise Barak, the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. So again, you can visualize on his knees, And he's just saying, here, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Everything I am is yours. That's what we're doing when we're saying Barak. It's it's complete surrender to him. And the Bible speaks of the blessings and the benefits that our lives are going to receive by approaching him this way. David tells us that God receives this kind of praise and redeems our lives. He crowns us with love and compassion and he satisfies our desires with good things. I want some of that. I want some of that. I want God to be able to respond to how it is that he's feeling because of the way I am praising him. So next is the word zamar. And this word means to make music to God, or to be more precise, to make music with strings is actually what this is about. But music is definitely something that you could say is key in God's love language. Remember, pastor spoke about this before, but when God created Lucifer, he actually created him as a walking, singing, playing instrument. That's how Lucifer was created. He was made up of timbrels and cymbals and and pipes. So every time he moved, he was making noise and making music for God. Now, when we listen to praise and worship music, we tend to listen to what we like, right? You can listen to any genre of music, and, and praise and worship music now you can get in any single genre. You can listen to country praise. You can listen to rap praise. Now, I was basically brought up on a, on a diet of heavy metal when I was a, a youth, and I was in a heavy metal band, and I actually had hair that I could touch like this, and that's truth, so help me God. And before anybody asks me after the service, there is not a single photograph that exists. And that's the honest truth. I'll put my hand on the Bible. There is not a photograph. I made sure there was no photographs uh, of that. But as I say, heaven metal, that was, that was my thing. That, that was very much my thing. So now I, I like to listen to all genres of music except for country and rap that's just my personal tastes I've got nothing against them I just don't enjoy listening to them but I do enjoy listening to if I'm working out or if I'm yesterday I was mowing the lawn and I'll be listening to Christian metal oh my and that is actually a thing and and it's not from the devil let me just say that to you as well okay the words are just as much praise as what we sang this morning I can feel myself digging a huge hole <laughs> just to raise that disc can you I won't I won't talk about this in the second service. All right, but here's how David writes moving swiftly on about the praise that we should give to him. This is what he says about the praise. He says, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Loud clashing cymbals. Christian metal? All right, loud crashing cymbals. Again. Anything that includes loud crashing symbols is fine by me. All right, so we're going to learn about the next word. A Hebrew word is shabach, and shabach is this. This one can make some people feel uncomfortable. This description of praise means to shout, to address someone in a loud tone. It means to express yourself when you're pumped up and you're excited. And God likes it when we get loud and excited when we think about Him. Again, it's an expression. Why would God like us to get excited at an LSU game and not excited about him? He's got no issue with you being excited at an LSU game. He has no, no issue with you being excited anywhere. He wants you to have joy and be excited and to enjoy yourself and to have a good time. He wants those things, but he doesn't want you to be doing that more somewhere else than you are for God. It's quite, that's quite simple and straightforward. In your life, you should be able to look at your life and and say, if I turned down the sound and people couldn't hear what it was that I was saying, and they saw me over the course of a week, and they saw when it was that I was excited and I was expressive, there should be more of that time captured on video that's relating to God than any other single thing. If it's 90% LSU and 10% God on a Sunday morning then you need to check yourself. And I'm saying that with love. And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. But it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to you. It should matter to you. So this is, as I said, shouting out. This is when we're getting loud in excitement. Psalm 63 puts it this way. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise, shabbat you, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. I'm going to shout your name, God. I love you, God. You're awesome, God. You're an amazing God. God, we love you. We love you. We praise you. That's Shabbat, when we're raising our voice, when we can't hold it in. And I don't know about you, but that's how we should feel about our God. We should, when you think about our God and what it is that God has done for us, And I know I sound like a pastor right now. Forget that I sound like a pastor right now. Just I'm a guy who got saved 10 years ago from, frankly, the pit of hell. So I've got that inside of me. Because I know where I was and I know where I am. And it's all because of him. So I can't talk about him without having that sense inside of me. But your story is the same. Your story is the same. If you were saved, you were saved. And that in itself should be enough. You should have that welling up inside of you. That every now and again, you've just got to thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. The sixth word, tauda. And this word is similar in meaning to one that we just looked at, but it's slightly different. This word means to praise God by lifting our hands. But it has a different meaning to yada. Tauda describes us lifting our hands in praise. And this is receptively, expectantly, thankfully we're waiting for things from God that we haven't yet received. So if Yadah implies us reaching up to God, then Tadah shows us receiving from him. This will be as I have us lifting our hands with an attitude of, I'm here, God. Pour it on me. Pour it on me, Lord. Pour it on me. I'm ready to receive whatever it is that you have for me this morning. I'm here, Lord. I came to worship you, but you keep giving to me because that's who you are. And I thank you for that, God. I love you for that, God. Thank you, Father. And God speaks through Psalm 50 about those who approach him with thanks. It says, this is God speaking, the one who offers thanksgiving, Taudah, as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So when we give our thanksgiving, as our sacrifice, we're doing what, does he say? We are glorifying him, which is what this is all about. This is all about us bringing him glory. So notice that two out of the seven Hebrew words for praise that are used in Scripture, they involve us raising our hands. And this isn't some thing that the modern church has invented or something wrong to do During praise, this is something specifically described as part of the process of praise. So, I'm not telling you that if you don't raise your hands, you're not praising God, but I am telling you this if you have, if you're not the type to raise your hands, if you are not comfortable in raising your hands, but every time you come to praise and worship, you have this feeling that you want to raise your hands, then please. Please raise your hands. Raise your hands, because let me tell you this: you not raising your hands, you you are you are not fighting against embarrassment. You are not fighting against the people around you that you think are looking at you. Frankly, you're not that important. They're not looking at you, but that's not who you're fighting against. Who you're fighting against is this: the God that created you to raise your hands. That's who it is. So if you have that urge, go with your urges. Yes, a pastor said it from the the pulpit. Go with your urges. Follow your urges. I'm only talking about praise and worship in church. But raise your hands when you have that sense and that desire to do so. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's everything right with it. Okay? So don't let anybody make you feel bad for doing that. The last word we're going to look at is this, to healer. And to healer, this word means exuberant singing. Exuberant means uninhibitedly enthusiastic. Or this, I love this, lavishly abundant. What a way to describe singing, lavishly abundant. And David says this in Psalm 34, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise to healer shall continually be in my mouth. Uninhibitedly enthusiastic praise will continually be in my mouth. What a picture that paints of how we should be praising our God. So looking at these seven words, raising our hands, crashing cymbals, shouting out to God, pouring out lavishly abundant worship, it gives us all something to think about and aspire to, doesn't it? Because how many of us can say that that's how we worship this morning? During praise, is that how we worshiped? Could we worship better? Could we express our love for God to him better? Not better by my ratings or my standards or my checklist. Could we serve God, worship God, glorify His name in a way that He wants us to and would like us to do? Could we do that better? If the answer is no, brilliant. Come up the front with us at church on Sunday morning. If the answer is yes, then take one step at a time like Pastor said. If you normally tap one foot, tap both. If your hands normally make it this far, you know what? There's, no, there's nothing weighing you down. The, the, the Gravity is the same here as the same here, okay? You don't have to fight harder. You might have to, it might struggle to, to stay up here longer, okay? But keep working it. It's a good workout as well. Everyone's a winner. All right. Okay, so ask yourself, am I praising God the way that God wants me to praise? Not the way that I'm being told to, not the way I'm being instructed to or asked to am I giving God what God wants? Second thing that God wants, so God wants your praise. What else does he want? He wants your passion. God wants your passion. So what is passion? The definition of passion is this, it's a strong amorous feeling or desire. It's ardour. It's love. That's what passion is. Worshipping God includes all of the forms of praise that I just described to you, but it does not stop there. That's the way we express ourselves in those moments where we are praising and worshipping in the sense that we're aware of. But your worship of God does not stop there. Worshipping God includes so many other things. The things we've spoken about there in the seven Hebrew words are just some of the things that God desires. Jesus is asked in the Bible what the most important commandment from God is that should be followed. And his answer is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. We worship what we love, and we love what we worship. We are called to love God, and not in a part-time, fleeting kind of a way. We are called to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. What does that mean? What does that even look like? Well, I appreciate you asking because I'm about to give you the answers. Let me tell you what I think those things mean. Loving with your heart. Let's start with that. Loving with your heart, it's about affection. Loving with your heart is about where you place your priorities. It's about what you truly value. In the book of Matthew, we're told this powerful truth. It says this, for where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. So, whatever it is that we place most value on is what our heart will be attached to. It's what our heart will be motivated by. It's what our heart will be devoted to. So, these verses directly uh, follow. So, the verses straight before this one, they speak clearly about the kind of treasure that we should be focusing on and what we shouldn't. The two verses before this one, they talk about the things of this earth. And if we're chasing things of the the earth, those things are temporary, they're fragile, they're subject to decay or to being stolen. Whereas, things that relate to God and a relationship with Him, they are eternal, they are valuable, and they are secure. Now, because of the combination of our nature and the way that we're wired, And the things that the world tempts us with, it's incredibly easy to be pulled away from eternal thinking. It's incredibly easy to be pulled away from eternal thinking. And it's incredibly easy for us instead to be focused on things, on people, on pastimes, on monetary gain. These things are out there and they are tempting us continually. It's very easy to be distracted and pulled away. And these things, again, they are not bad in themselves at all. But if we love and worship those things more than we do our God, then the results can be, frankly, catastrophic for us. They can pull us away from God. We need to ask ourselves regularly and honestly, is there anything in my life that is more important to me right now than God? Ask yourself that question regularly and honestly, because you are human. And my prediction is this. I'm not going to predict the future. Let me tell you what would have happened in the past. If you, over the last 10 years, had asked yourself that question once a week and meant it, on more than one occasion, you would have said yes. There is something in my life more important to me than my God. I know I would have done. We have to be aware of it, and we have to check it. We have to check where the treasure of our heart is. So let's look at what it means to love God with all of our soul. Loving with all our soul is about, this is about devotion. This is about obedience. Jesus puts it this way, short and sweet. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's it. Mic drop. That's it. If you love me, you'll obey obey my commandments. And this is where everybody goes quiet. Because we're talking now about obedience. We're talking about following his commandments. I'm not going to go all hellfire and brimstone on you but what I am going to do is I'm going to remind you of who it is that we're serving. Our God is worthy of all praise and all worship and all glory, but he's worthy of more than you singing some songs. He's worthy of your devotion. He is worthy of your obedience. Now, obedience, in my opinion, is the clearest and most powerful form of worship to God, because God can look at you and he can say, well, are you raising your hands or are you not raising your hands? Are you half raising your hands? Yes, you're half raising your hands, which is better than not raising your hands, but are you fully raising your hands? He can look at your worship and your praise. Are you singing loudly? Are you halleling me or not? He can do that and he can gauge you and he can give you a sliding scale because you could half be raising your hands. You could be half halleling. You could be half singing, but you can't be half obedient. You're either obedient or you're not obedient. And so obedience is, as I said, in my opinion, it's one of the clearest things that God can look at as to whether or not you are worshipping him. Listen to what Samuel says to King Saul. He's comparing obedience to other forms of worship. Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In the Old Testament times, they used to worship him. Part of the, the worship process was to actually sacri- make sacrifices, to burn animals at the altar. It's a different form of sacrifice to the one, the sacrifice of atonement, where people were looking to cover their sins. This was actually a praise and a worship. They would bring an animal to the altar, and they would burn it completely. They wouldn't cook it and eat, eat it. They would burn it completely to cinders, the whole thing. And it was a request from God. God made it quite clear that that was how part of the process of worshipping him in Old Testament times. So did God love that that was being done? Yes, he did. But Samuel's saying here, God loves that, but he, uh, he loves your obedience more. You can worship him by bringing that, by bringing the fat of the rams. Do that, because that's what God is asking you to do. But don't think that's enough, because that's not enough. And if God had a choice between you being obedient to him and listening to his word and not bringing the fat of the ram, or bringing the fat of the ram and not being obedient, he's always going to choose obedience. He's always going to choose obedience. If you want to know how important God believes obedience to him to be, read through the Old Testament and see what happens to those people that were not obedient to him. Now, let me lift the mood again. Thank God that we are now living under grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank God that our sins are forgiven and thank God that he no longer punishes the way that he did before our sin was paid for by his son. Thank God for that. But, but, guess what? His grace does not give us permission to go and be disobedient to his wishes and commands. In fact, we have a huge responsibility as New Testament Christians to be obedient to his word. And what a powerful show of worship it is now to be obedient. Because why? Because we don't have to in fear of being punished. I don't have to worry about being punished if I'm not obedient to him. How then? more important is it? How more powerful is it then if I'm obedient because I want to be? If I'm obedient because I know that that's what God wants? If I'm obedient because that's a display of my love for him, my gratitude to him, my worship of him? We can now go and do that because we want to, not because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't do it, Now, the world has its own set of rules and its own set of ideas as to what's acceptable, what we say, what we do, what we can watch. It has its own parameters now of what's okay regarding our sexuality, our marriage, or whether we get married or not, how we treat others and how important we are compared to everybody else in the world. It even has its own opinions on how relevant God is in 2018 and how valid His Word is. And I've said countless times, and I believe this genuinely. I believe that right now, it's the toughest time in history to be a young person growing up and making choices. The world is telling us that it's okay, that this is okay, that that is okay, when God quite clearly says that those things are not. Worshipping God is this. Worshipping God is saying, my world says this. But your word says different and what your word says is truth and that is what I will live by and I could go on and preach a whole series on this point but dwell on that and think about that because the world tells you something is okay does not make it okay the word that was written by God is just as relevant and valid and true today as it was when a pen met paper and again I sound like a pastor. Don't look at me as a pastor. Look at me on some guy that studied the Bible, studied it hard, that got saved 10 years ago, as I said, from a very dark place, who now does his very best to live by this word. Not in some religious fashion, but knowing that this is truth. Knowing that this is truth. Love him with all your mind. This is about where your thoughts dwell. And like I just said, there's so much now that our mind has to think about. So many things for us to be distracted by. So many things that we can have our minds dwelling on. And worshipping God with our minds means that we protect our mind and our thoughts against anything that conveys the opposite of God's Word. The world, as I said, is questioning more and more the relevance of the Bible in society today. And that's no different to what it's been in the whole of history. It's just more prevalent now. It's easier now for you to, I mean, you give, you give a 15-year-old a cell phone for 10 minutes, and they can now be exposed themselves to more stuff than I could in the first 20 years of my life. That's the truth. And I'm not talking about the, the extremities. I'm not talking about porn. I'm not talking about those things, although they're all obviously accessible. What I'm talking about is what the world says. What the world says is okay. I'm hearing on a regular basis and speaking to parents of people and kids who are now confused as to whether they're a boy or a girl. And I'm not messing with you. I could cry over this. It's heartbreaking. And it's not because they're any different to the generation that were born three decades ago, or four decades ago, or five decades ago. The difference now is the world is telling them that there is a room for confusion. That, you know, if you don't feel this way, then you must be the opposite. Or or worse still, you're not a boy or a girl, you're fluid. I mean, don't get me started. I was about to start then. God's Word is quite clear on that topic. On that topic and every other topic, it's totally clear. Paul faced the same situation. When he was planting churches and bringing the Word in the early church, we're talking during the first century, Christ has uh, just died. 30, 40 years after his death and resurrection. And we're talking about Paul now is going out and he's planting churches. And the world was the same then. Corinth. It was a place in Europe, and Corinth, had, where he sent the letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was a, a huge port. And that port was, it was, a, it was where all of the traffic went with all of the goods and the spices and the cloths and everything was coming through. It was a, a huge, hiving, commu- thriving community. But it was a place of decadence. It was a place of prostitution. It was a place of homosexuality. It was, it was just all of it was man basically taking care of man's desires. That's what that's where Corinth was all about. That's what it was all about. And Paul planted a church there and he wrote to the church of Corinth. And the people in the church of Corinth were doing the same things as the people outside of the church in Corinth. And he wrote them and he said this about their minds, about what it is, the way they have to tune their minds. He said this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So he's saying, look, I know you're influenced here. I know you're influenced there. I know that you've got this out there, and I know you came from that lifestyle. I know that the world out there is telling you that that's the way that it should be, and don't worry about this Jesus Christ guy. Because what you have to understand is this, is that in the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he didn't have a New Testament to go back on. They didn't have a full codified 66-book Bible like we do. You're sat there now and you have access to every translation you could possibly want of a 66-book Bible, start to finish, everything in there, God's breathed Word is available at your fingertips to read, to know it, to digest it. They never had that then. In fact, the letter to the Corinthians that is, timeline-wise, is the fifth book written in the New Testament. So there was only four books prior to that that existed in the New Testament. I'm trying to give you a sense of how little people of Corinth had in their hand to fight against what the world was telling them was right. You have this. You have this. The whole thing front to back, is telling you of the way God wants you to live your life. And I'm not telling you that God wants you to live your life locked in a closet and not enjoying yourself, not having a good time, not interacting with people, not doing things that bring you pleasure. It will tell you what things not to do to bring you pleasure. And let me assure you of this, and I know because I've been there, there's nothing that you've done that I haven't. Let me tell you, I'm not doing those things anymore and I'm happier today than I ever was. God's Word. We have to have our mind dwelling on God's Word. We have to have these things, and we have the opportunity to do it. Are you making use of that? You know, here's the, here's the reality. People will come to me for counseling. They'll come to Pastor Philip for counseling. Outside of his door, he has a sign on there that says, do not enter unless you want the truth. That's a sign outside, and yes, it's funny, and it's a joke, but it's not a joke. Because if you walk in his office or my office, you're not going to get my opinion or his opinion. You're going to get the truth. And there is no subject that you can mention to me. There's no question that you can ask me. There's nothing that you can start a sentence with. Look, I've got this going on in my life. What should I do? I will give you the answer. I know the answer. Why do I know the answer? Because I know his word. Because I know his word. But the great thing is this, is you don't have to come see me to find the answer because you can know his word. Do you know his word? Do you know his word? I'm serious to you now. When your kids come home to you from school, in the second year of school as a 12 or 13-year-old and start talking to you and say, well, what about this and what about that? Do you find yourself saying, well, I don't really know? Go with what you feel. Go with what you think. What do your friends say you should be doing? Are you having those conversations with your kids right now? Because the conversation you should be having is that God says this. Not beating them over the head with a Bible and go and read Second Corinthians chapter 4, you, you should know the word. You should know what it is that God says about man and woman. You should know that he created man from dust, that he breathed his breath into his lungs. You should know that he took a rib out and created Eve. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Adam and Eve. I'm sorry, but I'm passionate about this. Because, listen to me, I'm going to say this, it sounds brutal. Our kids right now are ignorant of the truth. Our kids are ignorant of the truth. And frankly, our kids are ignorant of the truth because you are ignorant of the truth. You need to be in God's Word and know God's Word. Know what it is that God says about every single topic and subject. Because His opinion isn't changing. His opinion hasn't changed. The word that he gave us is the word until, the rules until, the guidelines until, the do's and don'ts until Jesus comes back. They're not open for negotiation. They're not open to be changed and modified to fit in with our world. Our world will tell us this, that, and the other. And we have to know our word well enough that we can stand firm In what the truth actually is. None of that is in my notes. Uh, You've got all that for free. All right. Calm down, Pete. Get back to your notes. All right. So, finally, loving with all your strength. Loving with all your strength. We've spoken about your mind. Protect your mind. How do you protect your mind? Get in the Word. Read the Word. Know the Word. Have that protect you. Because I'm just as under attack as you are. I mean, you understand that, right? I don't live in a little pastor's bubble where my life is perfect and everything is rosy and I wake up and I'm singing God's praises 24 hours a day on my lips and no issues, no problems, no kids who are asking me questions. That's not my life. I can assure you that's not my life. I'm living the same life as you are, the same struggles as you are, the same battles as you are, the same temptations that you are, the same garbage that's coming in at me, the same garbage that's coming at you. I'm no better than you. I'm no different to you. I'm exactly the same as you. I'm worse than you. You have to get that word so strongly inside of you that it's protecting you against everything that this world will throw at you, because you are going to be thrown off course if not. That's your mind. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He even calls it worship, here. What is it he's talking about? This is about your strength. How do we love God with all of our strength? We love him with all of our strength by doing. Things that take strength. The doing, it's a physical action. Sitting around doing nothing doesn't take much strength, right? Getting up and doing something for people, with people, takes strength. And that's what it means to love God with all of your strength. You've been equipped and given the ability to do certain things. And again, we spoke about this before, about your giftings. Your giftings are different to mine. Your talents are different to mine. Your abilities are different to mine. But are you using yours? Are you using yours? And if you're not using yours, then you need to be using yours. It's a form of worship to our God. We're giving him a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. It means when it talks about being holy and acceptable, it means being set apart. We should look different to a non-Christian. I mean, not immediately, but if anybody spends any, any period of time with us, then they should sense something that's different about us. We shouldn't have to cram or even speak about Jesus Christ to, to display the fact that we love Jesus Christ. It should be an ongoing thing. We're set apart. We should be thinking differently to those who are not saved, and we should be doing differently. And that doesn't mean that everyone who is not saved is doing 100% evil things 100% of the time. That's not what I'm saying. I know some very good people who are not saved. I know some pretty bad people who are. So that's that's not the indicator. What I'm talking to you about is we should be set apart and look different in our motivations, in the reason that we're doing things. Where the average person would say, no, I'm not doing that because I'm too tired the christian would say you know what i'm so tired but i'm going to go and do this i mean that's a, a silly practical example but that's how we should be looking different i'm not saying do everything and burn yourself out that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying that we should be having different motivation to different levels of motivation oh, i should spit it out and we should have different levels of sacrifice to those people who are not saved So remember I said at the beginning of this part of the message, Jesus was asked about the most important commandment. Jesus said to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He then goes on and he says, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where the strength comes in. Believing in God is an action. We believe in God. That's an action. But it's an action that does what? It generates action. Being a Christian makes a difference to you which leads then to making a difference to others. And worshipping God, that can be a direct action to Him, but it's just as important to God and impactful to this world when you're doing it indirectly to Him by doing good directly to other people. When you're doing good directly to other people, you are doing good indirectly to God. When you are helping somebody, serving somebody, when you're giving somebody a better day than they would have had, if they weren't in contact with you. You are doing what? You are worshipping God. You're worshipping God. That's what God wants you to do. That's what you were created to do. Because again, it's not about praising him alone. What else is it about? Bringing him glory. How do we bring him glory? We touch people's lives in a way that they wouldn't be touched without God. I know my life has been touched so many times by so many people because of God. And if I touch somebody's life or I encourage somebody, it's not for my benefit or my glory. It's not so that they think Pete is a good guy. I couldn't care less. Honestly, I couldn't care less what anybody's opinion of me is. In fact, I will go this far. If anybody thinks I'm a good guy and Christ doesn't come in the equation, I've done a really bad job. Because what I'm about is bringing God glory. What we should be about is bringing God glory final scripture but it's a doozy it's a long one all right Matthew 25 34 through 40 then the king will say to those on the right this is just this is in this passage here let me just set the background for you Jesus is talking of the final judgment here and he's speaking about God and how he will take the split people between the believers and the unbelievers he will take the unbelievers who he, he calls them goats and he will set them at off to the left. He will then take the believers, who he calls the sheep, and he will then set them at God's right hand. He will set them at his right hand. And he goes on and says, then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What we do to other people, we're doing to God. When we are giving, God good, uh, giving people goodness, we're giving God goodness. When we're providing encouragement to Him, we're worshipping God. When we're giving money to those who need it, clothes to those who need it, food who need it, shelter who need it. When we're visiting those in prison, we're worshipping God. When you're helping people out, you're worshipping God. When you're taking a call from somebody that you'd rather not take a call from because you're too tired or too busy, you're worshipping God. All of these things that you're doing unto other people, you're doing unto Him. And here's the thing, we're called to worship God. We're called to bring Him glory. But beyond that, we're created to worship God, and we are created to bring Him glory. So hopefully, that's helped clarify to you that worship doesn't just mean singing songs on a Sunday morning. Worship is your life You should lead a life of worship, and that doesn't mean, as I said, that you should be singing each and every day, although you should. A life of worship looks different to those people who are not saved. A life of worship is about helping other people. It's about bringing glory to God in every situation, in your workplace, at your school, in your home. You being a good husband is worshipping God. You being a good wife is worshipping God. You being good parents is worshipping God. And yes, kids, you honouring your parents is worshipping God. Everything that we do in our life can be an act of worship to Him. Bow your heads, if you would, where you are.